I think I'm not. Try it. One, two, three, four, five. Well, Peter, you tell us when we're ready to fly. <laughs> What's that? Oh, good, good thinking. All right. There's an old story during the time of the American Lutheran Church, and it was before the mergers that came along and uh, the big crazy church began. And a bishop was coming to a rural parish. And the bishop got there, and the congregation assembled looked about like this morning. And the bishop took offense because it wasn't full. And he looked at the pastor and said, you would have thought that if the bishop was coming, you would have let people know. And the pastor just peacefully said, well, I tried to keep it a secret, but apparently it got out. <laughs> so, so um, people heard I was going to be here today, and it got out. <laughs> anyway, we uh, have good news this day. The first piece of good news is this. The Lord Jesus promises that wherever two or three come together in his name, there he is in the midst of them. So I know I'm one. Anyone else here in Jesus' name today? Oh, we get... So we, we, we are not alone. The Lord Jesus is here, especially by the presence and power of his Holy Spirit. I'm going to invite you to stand as we begin our time of worship together. And I think we're going to sing straight through all three. All three songs, that is. Without, without announcement time. Okay. Got it. My God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how 
great And when I think that God, his son, not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in that on the cross my burdens gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart? Then I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim my God, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. How great is his faithfulness. We'll sing about that also. A faithful God who loves his people so very much. compassion they fail not as thou hast been thou forever will be great is thy faithfulness great is thy faithfulness morning by morning new mercies I see all I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow blessings all mine with ten thousand beside great is thy faithfulness Great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have needed thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Ten thousand reasons 
why we can give thanks and praise to our glorious God and King. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O my soul, worship your holy name. Sing like never before, O my soul, I will worship your holy I'd invite you to hear the word of the living God this morning from the Gospel of St. Mark, the 10th chapter, beginning at verse 17. As Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And he said to him, you lack one thing, go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. 
and come and follow me. Disheartened by that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. And this is the gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. I invite you to be seated. And let's begin our time together with a few words of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for for these words that came not only to a, a rich man way back then, but come to us in our wealth today. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would hear your words to him and also your words to us so that we would not be ensnared and trapped by that which we have and maybe that which holds us. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would guide my words now as I speak. And I pray also, Lord, that you would guide the ears and the thoughts of your people gathered together, not only in sanctuary here, but who hear over um, the internet. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would guide us, each one of us, in your truth. And that you would set us free from that which would hold us and give us firm faith, Lord Jesus, in the impossible that you have done, that we might have life and salvation. I pray these, Lord Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. Well, in the gospel lesson this morning, we hear of a, a rich man who comes to Jesus. Actually, uh, Luke's account of it uh, fills in a, a, another blank, and that is he is also one who is a ruler, one who has an authority over a number of other people, and, and he comes to Jesus, and, and in so many ways, he is right on the mark. And yet he ends up missing the mark in the very end. He ends up so very wrong. In verse 17, and if you've got your Bible, I'd invite you to open up to, to Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 17, and uh, sort of follow through with us as we go. Uh, first of all, in verse 17, we find out that this, this rich young man came to the right person to get the truth. He came to Jesus. He didn't come to some other. He didn't uh, try to figure out on his own what was going to happen, what needed to be done. He came to the right person, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, the one who says, no one comes to the Father but by me or through me. So he comes to the right person with his question. And verse 17, we also see that he asks the right questions. It's not some theological theoretical, philosophical, let me become more wise kind of thing. He comes with a very personal question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? How, how can I have certainty that, that beyond life as we know it now, there will be life for me forever? In the presence of God. How can I know that? He, he comes to the right person, to Jesus. He asks the right question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Um, Matthew also records this incident. And in, in Matthew 19, verse 20, uh, he puts it in these words. What is it that I still lack? How, how am I under the bar of what I need to clear to make it to that place of eternal life? He comes to the right person, Jesus. 
He comes with the right question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And thirdly, he receives the right answer. Every one of these things is right in line with what he needs. Jesus, it says, looking at him, wasn't disgusted. Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Jesus is, has a heart that is passionate for this man who is actually really caught up in bondage, who is in a certain type of slavery. Jesus, looking at him, loves him and, and says, you know the law, you know the commandments, you do that and you're going to live. Now, it's obvious that uh, Luther was not around in the day of this rich young ruler, this rich young man, because as he responds to the, to the Ten Commandments in, in brief thumbnail sketch, he says, oh, since I've been a midget, I've been doing this all along. For those of us who have uh, spent any amount of time looking at Luther, uh, trying to describe the understanding of the commands, it's not only what we've avoided. I haven't killed anyone. I haven't stolen from anyone. I haven't defrauded anyone. I haven't committed adultery. I've honored my father and my mother. We know that it's not just the things that we haven't done negative, but it also talks about the things that we need to do positive. Anyone who looks at a woman, Jesus says, with lust, has already committed adultery with her. It, it, it's not just how we live it out with our fingers and our lives. It's how we're caught up in our heart. And, and Jesus is coming to the, to the core of where this man's struggle is. Because we're going to find out that he went away sorrowful. Why? Because he had great riches. I might ask the question, did he have the great riches or did those great riches have him? Because it certainly seems like this man is in some serious bondage. He comes to the right person, Jesus. He comes with the right question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? He gets the right answer. Jesus begins to spell it out to him. You know, if you want to be, as Matthew says, if you want to be perfect, and, and when, when the word in Greek is in the New Testament talks about perfect, it doesn't mean moral lack of impurity, which is what our mind usually thinks. If you want to be perfect, the, the, the sense is if you want to be complete, if you want to be whole, this is what you need to do. Gather up all that stuff that is holding you. Sell it. Give to the poor. Oh, and then you, the one who loves him, you come and follow me. The right person, the right question, the right answer, and then his freight train falls off the rail because he does not have the right response. Sadly, he turns away and departs because he had great wealth. And then Jesus speaks those words to his disciples that astonish them and maybe should Trouble us. How hard, how difficult it will be for those who have great wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And you can almost see a disciple's mouth. I didn't think that salvation was a, a money thing. 
well, what's that about Jesus? And, and in their vacant kind of look, Jesus has to re-explain it. How difficult it is for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. It's going to be far easier for, for a camel to pass through the, the eye of a needle. And, and Mark uses the word that would be used to, to describe a sewing needle. It's sort of interesting. When Luke describes this, he doesn't use the word to describe a sewing needle. He uses the word how difficult for a camel to pass through the eye, through the eye of a suture. Luke was a doctor. <laughs> it's going to be... Now, a lot of people that I've read talk about this very small gate in Jerusalem, referred to as the eye of the camel. Jesus was not referring to that as much as we would like to think he did. That, that, didn't, that gate didn't get a name and didn't come about until the, the Middle Ages. So Jesus isn't telling the parable describing this gate. This gate was named to describe Jesus' parable many centuries before. But the picture is, can you imagine how hard it would be cram a camel through the eye of a, of a sewing needle or a, a suture, as, as Luke talks about. That's, that's how hard it is for those of us who have substantial wealth to somehow come to right terms with trusting God in the midst of everything. Back in 1972, I and a couple other fellows uh, were on a mission trip. And at this particular point in 1972, we were at a small town, Sabatica or Sabotica, in what was at that point Yugoslavia. It goes by another name now. And actually, Sabotica sometime was in Yugoslavia, and sometimes it was in Hungary. The, the town never changed, but but the border frequently did in history. It was south of the border at this point. It was in Yugoslavia, and we were spending time at a Pentecostal church there. We brought 55 pounds of, of Eastern European language Bibles and New Testaments and Christian books to give as a gift. We smuggled them through with Brother Andrew's organization. And these people who were very poor, and were sort of beat up pretty good because within that communist realm, Christianity was not favored. Regularly, they would be praying for believers in America, for believers in the West. And the reason they did that was because of the problems that we had that they didn't have. We had wealth. And somehow, with that wealth coming in, the fearfulness they had for us, that we would entrust ourselves to our wealth rather than entrusting ourselves to God. They, they understood, maybe in a way that we didn't, what Jesus is talking about. How hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. So what's our attitude toward wealth? Uh, we are some, on a whole, some of the richest people in the world. We have so much. In fact, for many people, we have so much that maybe we don't need God because everything we have can get us through our problems. I'd like to share with you quickly Four big struggles that come with riches. The first one, riches bring with it an absorbing amount of focus in our lives. It makes us interested in the stuff, the wealth, rather than other than other things. Riches don't satisfy. One of the very rich men about the time of the Titanic was asked, uh, how much money do you need 
with millions and millions of dollars that he had. And it was always answered with a little more. Never quite enough. Riches don't satisfy. But when we look at uh, Ecclesiastes, that was one of the whole focuses. You know, you got riches like crazy. Does it give you a fullness of life? No, it's still empty. It's still a vapor that you can't grab onto. And when I end the end of my, come to the end of my life, I breathe my last. Who knows whether all that stuff that I've amassed is going to just go to some fool who's going to squander it away. With riches come a preoccupation with them. How to use them. How to maintain them. How to store them. How to make sure that someone else doesn't get them. Sort of like a black hole that just sucks all of our focus. That's one of the struggles that comes with riches. A second struggle, somehow believing the, the deceitful promises that riches and wealth offer. The, the parable that Jesus talks about, the, the, the sower and the seeds. One of those seeds that, that got planted and started to spring up, it got choked out. Why? Because of the deceitfulness of riches. And when that became the focus, those roots sunk down in the truth of the gospel were ignored. They withered away. It was the warning that Jesus gave. Riches promise much, but they really offer little in return. And they're easy to be destroyed, to be lost. Promises a lot, but, but it's not there. And when you come to the end of your life, how are those riches going to help? In, in Psalm 49, uh, it's one of the songs, Psalms of the Sons of Korah. Verses 6 through, uh, six through 9 begin, Those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches, truly, no man can ransom another or, or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice that he should live on forever and, and never see the pit or the grave. In verses 16 and 17, Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. It just That stuff is here during that short breadth of time whilst we have breath. When uh, Tutankhamun was buried, and about a century ago, they, they discovered his unburied tomb. What did they find? Massive amounts of gold. Golden chariots and all sorts of art and, and, and food that was going to be used for the afterlife. You know what? Here it is 3,000 years later, or, or however long it is since Tutankhamun was around and got buried. He didn't get to take it with him. It just sat there while his body continued to dry out and be useless to him. We can't take it with us. There's an old saying that says, have you ever seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul? I actually, on the internet, saw the picture of a hearse pulling a U-Haul, so there a thousand sermons right down the drain. But I'll tell you, that person who was in the hearse wasn't going to get to use the stuff that was in the U-Haul. Jesus talks about the uh, parable of the rich man and how foolishly he tears down everything because there's going to be a chance of a bumper crop coming and in the midst of everything being torn down, so also his life came to an end. And all that stuff did him absolutely no good. It, it, 
wealth tends to promote a, a sense of arrogance, a sense of pride. In fact, as, as the children of Israel are, are standing on the, on the east side of the Jordan River and, and they're looking over to the land of promise that they're soon going to cross into, the warning comes in Deuteronomy 8 that when you enter that land that is flowing with milk and honey and, and you start to plant those fields that you didn't clear of stones and when you use those vineyards that you didn't plant that I am giving to you, don't somehow think that you got them because you're so spiffy. You got them because of God's grace and mercy to you. And when all that stuff comes your way, do not forget. It's one of the things that substantial amounts of wealth does for us. It sort of numbs our memory. And we forget where it's come from. During our years in Salinas, the, the men in the Hoff family have not had a, a, a long, as it were, life expectancy. Uh, early on, uh, in fact, until just recently, there had never been a Hoff male who made it out of his 60s. And a substantial number of them never made it into their 60s. Things like heart disease and lung disease and a lot of accidents. Now, I've already had my death accident when I broke my neck and didn't die at 58. Uh, God was gracious in the midst of that. Uh, somehow we think that, that we're going to make things work. And because the Hoff males haven't long lived, haven't lived long lives, I wanted to do everything I could to, if I exit early to make sure that my wife and our special needs son are provided and cared for. And so we didn't do a lot of things that a lot of our friends did. Some of the big trips and things like that. We didn't do that because we were paying ahead on the mortgage. And we were actually able to pay our mortgage off in 17 years. Which meant that now, if I check out, that house is free and clear, and Gail isn't going to have to worry about a mortgage payment. Now, I could say, in my great wisdom, and my wonderful planning, I no, it was all God's grace. But the easy way to slip into somehow thinking that I'm the one that made it happen. You know, there's a third, excuse me, a fourth thing. First was, was the uh, deceitful, excuse me, the absorbing interests, the, the deceitful promises, the second, the foolish pride that riches brings. The fourth is the hardening and selfishness that frequently walks together with wealth and riches. Uh, it was the rich man and Lazarus, as Jesus told that story, Lazarus, sick and poor, laying outside of his gates, and the rich man passed him day after day after day. And the more he saw him, the less he cared about him until the final judgment time came. And then everything came home to roost. In fact, you don't have to spend very much time reading through the prophets and, and find out the concern and the care that God has for, for the poor. For, for how people of substance don't care about those that are related within the, the Jewish household of faith, those who are, are barely getting by. And the concern that, that the Lord has, failing to, to respond to cry for true justice, that that would take place. In Hosea, it talks about how... how how the, the wealthy are willing to sell off the poor for a sandal. It doesn't matter to them because they have their stuff now. Interested more in money than the welfare of the poor. 
all of those things are some of the, the lures that attract us once we have wealth and substance. Now, not all rich people are guilty of that. The Bible is filled with people that, that had substantial amounts of wealth and used it to the glory of God. And just like Job or Abraham or Joseph, the son of Jacob, um, there's uh, King David and King Solomon, Barnabas who sold a field and gave it to the, to the apostles in the book of Acts, or, or Lydia who out of her pocket in the wealth of selling purple provided and supported the, the foundation of the church and not only in Philippi, but sent ministry money on ahead with Paul to care for others. There are lots of people who have wealth that God has used in powerful ways. But the warning is always there. Be careful that this does not become a snare. Because as Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, you can't serve both God and stuff. You can't serve both God and mammon. So, for you and me today, what do we learn as we may have struggle with riches? we got to watch out for covetousness. We need to watch out for, for wanting to get that and bring it to us. It's, we find out in Ephesians that actually covetousness Wanting more and more stuff that someone else has. Covetousness is actually idolatry. Because it is putting a desire not on God and how stuff would be used to his glory, but how stuff can make me somehow feel happy or content. And it always falls short. Paul, when he writes to Timothy, tells about some of those who have been lured by finances and warns him that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not Money is not the root of all evil, but that love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Because of it, it says, some have strayed from their faith, which means they were people of faith at one point, but the lure of money has attracted them away. And because of that, have, have suffered many sorrows. We need to be careful. We need to learn to live contented lives where we are. Now, if, as Paul writes, if you're a slave and you have a chance to unslave yourself, take advantage of it. But if you don't have that chance, learn to live in contentment. Says the man writing, inspired by the Holy Spirit, locked up in a Roman prison. Learn to live content. in that prison with contented heart, peaceful heart, knowing that, that an end is coming soon, not being aware probably that the Holy Spirit was having almost half of the New Testament penned in that situation. Again, Timothy hears these words from Paul in chapter 6 of his first letter. Contentment with godliness that's true wealth. <laughs> the old um, Greek philosopher Socrates, he is richest who is content with the least. Contentment comes not so much from great wealth as from few wants. Paul, again, writing from prison, I've learned that in whatever situation, there to be content. We've got food. We've got clothing. You know, there's parts of the world where brothers and sisters in Christ don't have food. For shoes, they use a, a fabricated plastic soda bottle wrapped around their foot. 
or maybe the part of a tire that's been cut to, to allow their feet to, to not be so abused by the rocks and hard soil that they're walking on. We have so much. Can we be content with where we are? Again, we can't take it with us. That's what it was talking about in Psalm 49. Can we be content with where we are? Again, the Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 13. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. You know, when we look at the rich, and in our part of the world, there are a lot of rich people. Some of the richest people on earth live less than 50 miles from us. Massive amounts of wealth in the billions of dollars. And some of that is used for good purposes. And some of it is used for not so good purposes. We need to have a heart like Jesus who looking at this rich young man who was missing the mark and still had compassionate love for him. The rich need to hear the gospel just as much as the poor need to hear the gospel. While I was a student at the Lutheran Bible Institute in North Seattle, one of the, the long time and really good teachers there was Pastor Erman Lunder. And ancient days ago, whilst he was a, a, a seminary student at Luther Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota, he had a, a night job. He worked at one of the hotels downtown Minneapolis as a, a bellhop and a serving and all sorts of stuff. And as he would walk to work in the evening, he would be passing the down and outers, the ones who were drinking out of the paper bag and didn't have much to wear and didn't have much to hope. And he would walk past those dressed up nicely for his night of work. And he would go to work, and he would see the other part of society. He called them not the down-and-outers, but the up-and-outers, because they were renting motel rooms for their extra-side girlfriends and all the other kind of stuff that was taking place. And it was obvious what was going on. And Pastor Lunder would be praying as he walked past the down-and-outers for them that they would find deliverance. And when he got to work, he would be praying for the up-and-outers, that they would find that which really fulfilled their life, not, not money and power, but the power that comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul, writing to the Romans in the first chapter, says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. That is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. To the Greek and to the Jew, it doesn't matter your background. The gospel, the power of God for salvation. So the disciples are looking and they're listening to Jesus. And if this one who is in ruling position and is really wealthy... And he's got all the power and strength of the young man. If he can't find salvation, if he can't find eternal life, who can? This one who seems to have it all together, if he can't get it, who can? And that's where Jesus' word comes to us with the truth. For people, salvation is impossible but not for God. All things are possible through God. And so for those of us who are wealthy, who, who may hear the, the, the siren song of wealth, for those of us who have stuff and things, the need is us for us also. And the power of God is there for us. Salvation to all who trust in Jesus. You and I know that we are not a part of the kingdom of God because we deserve it. 
we are a part of the kingdom of God because God did his miracle. Because God sent Jesus that we would have life and salvation. Not only now, but for life eternal. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that that you would help us, especially when, when we may be caught up in the lies of somehow thinking stuff is our salvation. When we really know the truth, Lord, that you are our only hope, you are our only salvation. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would give us eyes to see and hearts that are sensitive to respond. Respond to you, Lord, to be obedient to your call, to be faithful stewards of that which you have owned and will own and have simply entrusted to us for a time. May we use it, Lord, wisely and to your glory, that your name would be glorified in all that we do and that we would know a peace that comes from you alone. Lord Jesus, I pray it in your precious name. Amen. I'm going to invite you now to stand as we're going to join together in a time of prayer. And again, my request is that, uh, that it wouldn't just be the guy up front who does the praying, but that as the Lord leads your heart and puts things of prayer in yours, that with a bold voice, you would speak it. Uh, and the reason I ask for a loud voice as you pray isn't because God's hard of hearing. But I am sometimes. And, and I want to hear how it is that you pray that I might join together with you. So with that invitation, let's come. Heavenly Father, we thank you that even this day we can come to you in the glorious name of Jesus. Father, we thank you that... Uh, Prayer is not something that uh, is an endeavor that we deal with by ourselves, but, but you send your spirit to help us in our weakness when we don't know how to pray as we ought. We pray for your presence, Lord, that we would offer to you those things that your spirit places in our heart. Give us voice, Lord, to your spirit. Father, as we see the many around in our day who uh, stand uh, by the entrances and the exits to, to grocery stores and freeways, I pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom on how we can best be faithful stewards of that which you own and have simply entrusted to us. I pray, Lord Jesus, uh, especially for those ministries that, that care for those that are in need. We know that there are many that... Uh, 
are just wanting more stuff and don't want to work. And yet there are others who are in great need, Lord, and we need wisdom to, to know how to rightly loose up your possessions to be a blessing, whether that's the Union Gospel Mission or, or the multitude of other places that minister to, the, to those who are struggling with the issues of life. I pray, Lord, you would help us to be faithful as stewards of your possessions. We pray also, Lord Jesus, for the, for the many people that are, are struggling with the, the virus that is impacting. We pray for protection. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill lungs with your healing power. And those that have been impacted by it, uh, not only uh, in their bodies, but in their families and friends, that you would make your protection and your wholeness and healing a powerful reality. I pray for this congregation, Lord Jesus, for Elam Lutheran, as they seek to be a, a bright, shining light of the gospel in this community. I pray that you would give them wisdom uh, in how they would live out, shining forth the witness of your truth, we pray for the call committee, Lord, that you would give them patience and wisdom and at the same time boldness to, to ch chase after the one in the midst of the 99, not the one that's lost, but the one that you've chosen to, to be here as, as lead and guide pastor for the next years. I pray for that person, Lord Jesus, that pastor that you already know would fit perfectly for the ministry that needs to take place, not only in this congregation, but through this congregation. That you would be moving hearts and changing minds and setting the stage for the great wonderful things that you have planned for this people and this place and this time. And Lord Jesus, it's all these things that, that, that we lift in your name with thankfulness and trust in you. We pray it even using the words that you've taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm going to invite you now to open your hands, to open your hearts, and receive the blessing of God who loves you so very much. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and to be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with the greatest of all his favor and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's sing together our closing song this morning. It is well with my soul. When peace like a river attendeth my way when sorrows and sea billows roll whatever my lord thou hast taught me to say it is well it is well with my soul it is well with my soul it is well it is well with my soul my sin oh the bliss of this glorious thought my sin not in part but the whole 
is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul, it is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. And Lord, haste that day when my faith shall be sighed. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend even so it is well with my soul it is well with my soul it is well it is well with my soul, it is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. Go in peace and shine to the Lord's glory. Amen. Thank you.